Hi, I'm Brian Levy. I'm a partner at Manchester Living and the host of the Manchester Living podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to help people navigate the complex maze of elder care. There's an elder care, uh, a lexicon of elder care terms on our websites at manchesterliving.com. Um, today, we're talking about mental health and wellness. Before we get to that, let's jump in with new and noteworthy. Go ahead and roll the clip. That was when I got stuck at the middle of that place. It was horrible. Addie Shepard is describing where she was last week during an early icy North Texas morning on her way home. I stayed there and just started praying, you know, for help. Her car had spun out and she couldn't get it to move. It was dangerous because I was in the middle of the road. Adam Lampert found himself in the middle of a similarly icy situation. I quickly found out just rolling out of my driveway. I mean, I slid out of my driveway. Lampert wanted to see how bad the roads were before starting his workday. I was ascertaining that it was not a good day to be out. That's when Lampert found a car stuck in the road near his home. I helped her navigate her car to move to a side street, and I drove her to her job. But on his way back home, he found a second car stuck in the same spot, so he helped again. And I said, you know, are you okay? And she said, well, not so much. You know, here I am stuck. That driver was Addie Shepard. He came by me. He had my hand. He was even protecting me so that I don't fall. But as Lampert helped get Shepard off the ice and drove her home, a detail about Shepard caught him by surprise. I don't know like you did like this. That was what it's like. Shepard is a caregiver for Cambridge Caregivers in Dallas. Lampert is the CEO of Cambridge Caregivers. It was a godsend. I think it have a good heart. That's what I know. It really heightened my awareness of what my own staff at Cambridge do on a daily basis. It was a small deed for a woman doing important work, one that created a friendship these two never expected. So for that, Adams, I appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs> From the bottom of my heart, I say thank you. In Dallas, I'm Jay Wallace. Adam, you're a good guy, and Addie, we love you. So let's jump in. Today, as I said, we're talking about mental health and wellness. My guest today, Kathy Shockley, Director of Programs and Services for the Alzheimer's Association of Dallas and Northeast Texas Chapter, LNHA. Yes, Licensed Nursing Home Administrator. Thank you. Ron Nevelo, Executive Vice President in Business Development at Enlighten, LCSW and CDP. Licensed Clinical Social Worker. Yep. Certified Dementia Practitioner. Thank you very much. You know, this industry is riddled with acronyms, so um, I appreciate you uh, laying that out for us. NP. Yeah, NP. No problem. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> Ron, what is the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's? You know, I'm glad you asked that. That's one of the most common misunderstood things I come across in the work <clears throat> that we do. So a lot of people think they're the exact same thing. And the way to explain it is, Dementia is an overall category, and underneath it, there are a lot of different examples, like sports, and then there's football, dementia, and there's Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is the most prevalent form of dementia, which is why most people think it's the same thing. Experts will say somewhere between 65 and 85% of all cases of dementia or Alzheimer's. Would you agree with that stat? Yes, it is not uncommon for us to hear the statement, um, my mother doesn't have Alzheimer's disease, she has dementia. And having to kind of walk back that, there's a constant learning process going on with families to help them understand that you, 
really, you need to double click. You need to take it a step further and really find out the cause of the dementia so then you can understand the appropriate treatment. So therefore, Alzheimer's is dementia, but dementia is not always Alzheimer's. And you said find out the cause of. Can you elaborate on that? So depending on the source of the dementia, it's going to determine the course of, now, while there's not a there's no, there's nothing curative in terms of treatment-wise, but there are some sources of dementia that can be reversed. You know, if it's a, if it's because of a, a B12 deficiency or someone has recently started a new medication that's causing, a, you know, a drug interaction. If you have someone who's maybe experiencing small strokes, you know, you really want to make sure that you understand what's causing the dementia because then the course of treatment and how a physician well, you know, the care plan created is going to look different depending on the type of dementia. And then you can understand, too, as a family, a little bit more about what to expect in terms of how that dementia is going to progress. And I appreciate you saying there is no cure. I got a phone call from a resident's family recently from one of our care homes. And he said, Brian, oh, my gosh, my mom called me from the house phone. And I think she's getting better. There is no cure. Right. Currently, there's no definitive cure for Alzheimer's disease. There's been some exciting developments in the world of treatment. You know, just this last summer, there was a there's a new FDA-approved treatment for those in the very earliest stages and those with mild cognitive impairment, or MCI. There's another acronym for oh, you. Thank you. Um, but when you when you hear someone purporting a cure. Um, then that's where you really need to, your spidey senses need to go up and um, you need to understand that that's, that's really not where we are right now, but research is very exciting on that front. Great. Kathy, what are generally accepted and research proven ways to reduce your risk of brain health issues and to keep a healthy brain? Well, I'm excited to hear more about, of course, you know, Ron's work. Uh, within the Alzheimer's Association, one of the programs we offer the general public is a program called Healthy Living for Your Brain and Body, which really looks at taking the, um, the you know, keeping up those cognitive reserves through social interaction, you know, stay, you know, challenging your brain, protecting your brain. If you, anyone who's participating, you know, who rides a bike, who participates in contact sports, you know, wearing that helmet. Um, and then of course, having a really healthy diet because we know that heart health is directly linked to brain health. Um, and so those are the, in terms of risk reductive, you know, reduction behaviors, those are, you know, four main categories that we really encourage people. And also, when we're talking about mental health, um, depression and anxiety, those things can also contribute to the development of dementia. And so if someone's experiencing those mental health issues, they really need to address those and not just see that as something that is, is just a, a product of the stress of life and there's nothing they can do about it because that can contribute to developing dementia as well. Interesting. So really you can, when looking at risk reduction factors, what's been proven out there currently, globally, uh, research is showing there to be five areas, okay? And if you ever see a list of more than five, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, yeah. why that's going to be. And, you know, if you actually read Dr. Sanjay Gupta's most recent book. He's the latest one that, you know, researched uh, brain health and he's coming up with the same things. So the five things are exercise, particularly aerobic exercise. Okay, so I always tell people 30 minutes a day, if you can get up to that every day is ideal. And even for the people like that are wheelchair bound, 
you can still move your arms and if you can move your legs and get your heart increased and keep it at an increased level, that's aerobic exercise. Walking for people who can do it is absolutely gonna be the best or swimming if weather permitting, they can do that. So exercise is gonna be one. And most experts actually would say that's your number one. If they only can pick one, most of them are gonna say ex aerobic exercise. Number two is social interaction. There are a lot of things when I'm interacting socially with people that I'm using a lot of different brain processes in doing that, particularly when I'm talking to people I don't know so well. So I always, when I go into communities and I'm talking to people, I'm like, don't just focus on the people you know so well, go meet some of the newer people in the community, the people you don't know so well, because that'll be more challenging, but that's better for your brain. Uh, third thing is what they're calling brain foods. There are certain foods, heart healthy, as you talked about, Kathy, that are good for the brain and better for the brain. It tends to be heart healthy stuff. Probably the number one food that I'm reading out there right now is fresh blueberries. And most people haven't heard of that. They're used to hearing things like salmon or broccoli or stuff like that. Walnuts is a recent one that's shown to have good effects on short-term memory. Even um, small amounts of dark chocolate. Personally, I wish it was milk chocolate, but right. it's not milk chocolate, it's jarred <laughs> chocolate. And I always have to tell people it doesn't mean to go uh, buy Thin Mints from the Girl Scouts right. right now and think I'm helping my brain by eating lots of them. No, that doesn't work that way. Uh, the fourth thing is taking care of your health. That's the category that when you see more than five, they've taken elements of that and split it up, okay? So that's gonna be things like um, keeping your cholesterol in check, keeping your weight down, uh, blood pressure in check. Uh, if you're diabetic, you know, you got to keep that in order. Getting enough sleep, staying hydrated, taking care of mental health like Kathy was talking about. So taking care of your health, there are a lot of factors that go into that. A lot of it is all heart healthy stuff that you're really looking at. And then the fifth one is challenging cognitive activities, which I tell people all the time is the best thing you can do is go learn something new because that will really make it more challenging. And people have often said, how do I know if it's a challenging cognitive activity? Like, what's the difference? And I always tell them, when you're listening to me lecture, that's a cognitive activity. Now go tomorrow without looking at any notes, tell someone what you learned, that's a challenging cognitive activity. There's a clear difference there. Are there resources or apps or anything like that that you would recommend to continue the, the brain health, if you will? So there are a lot of different things that you can do, actually. There's a lot of free stuff out there on the internet that you can look up. If you wanna learn a language, for instance, uh, I've used duolingo.com, but there are a bunch of stuff out there. There are computer programs that you can buy that are developed by neuropsychologists they can use. There are programs like my company's program that you can uh, get involved with and have someone walk you through a lot of that stuff. And actually the research is showing, interestingly enough, that when you're doing these activities that you're actually better off doing them with someone else, someone pushing you through that. And having done this for a number of years, I believe that's because what I see with clients is they want to win. When they're playing these little, what they call games, I call them computer modules, when they're playing these games, they want to win. So they're not going to push themselves. What I want to do is find out how hard I can make it to where they can win, and then I'm going to make it a little harder. It's that little harder is the challenging piece. And then when they master that, I'm gonna make it a little harder. So if they're playing for fun, they're not gonna do that. And which is why I think that the research is showing having someone walk you through these and push you is actually much more effective. Right. Let's talk about food. Love food. Nutrition yes. is important. Um, as when we were kids, you know, our parents of course told us to eat our vegetables. It'll make us smart and make us run really fast in our new shoes. 
what's what, what, let's talk about diet and what's really good for the brain. And Ron, you want to tackle that? So we've already talked about it actually a little. It's the heart healthy diet. A yeah. lot of people it's say not the, the Medi- it's the Mediterranean diet. Yeah, it would be ideal. It's fruits and vegetables. Now it doesn't have to be only fruits and vegetables. You know, if if um, if you're really a carnivore like I am, the key is to keep it lean. You know, that's that's going to be the key. If um, if you're looking for proteins um, other than fruits and vegetables, that's in fruits and vegetables. Uh, salmon is ideal. Uh, tuna maybe once a week because of the mercury. You don't want to do it probably much more than that. Um, but it's fatty fish is what they're talking about. Uh, in the fruit area, uh, it's blueberries and strawberries uh, are the two top fruits that they're talking about. When it's uh, nuts, it's walnuts. Um, am I missing anything here? Getting more to add? No, I think that, you know, as far as watching your sodium, again, back to, you know, back to the blood pressure issue, um, we have, you have the mind diet. So, you know, you can we talk about the Mediterranean diet, the mind diet. Um, these are things that people can Google and it'll walk you through kind of your shopping list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rather than this, try this, substitute this for this. Um, and so I'm a big fan of the everything but the bagel seasoning, like at Trader Joe's, you know, when you're trying to find something that's maybe um, got a little bit lower sodium, but um, and flavorful. So I think that in the DASH diet as well. So if they look up DASH, Mediterranean or mine diet, that'll give them a good sense. And, of and, and you know, our moms are going to want us to eat our broccoli. Of course. She never could get me to eat mine, but that's also good for the brain too. Right. So when, when people age, their taste buds um, dissipate, if you will. And I know that a lot of my clients and, and residents love their sweets. They eat candy, 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 as our grandparents did. What do you say to that? What are the alternatives? Personally, um, when I'm 80, and if I want to have my dark chocolate or yeah. my Girl Scout Thin Mints, then I, I deserve to be able to have those. And I think everything in moderation is great. I think the last thing you want to do is deny someone. I mean, that's a, also a quality of life issue. Um, and so I think even when it comes to someone who has diabetes and you can come up with ways that you can still satisfy that sweet tooth and really still keep that, you know, other under check, we know that for those seniors who are maybe living out the community and they don't have someone there to manage that for mm-hmm. them, then, you know, sometimes that's where you see things really, you know, get out of hand. But I personally have always been a believer. And when I was working in a long-term care setting, it was like, if, you know, if we need to have, keep little, you know, dark chocolate Hershey kisses and dole those out, you know, a couple at every meal or what have you. Then we're going to do that in moderation. Yeah. In Everything moderation. in moderation. We have a, a, a woman living in our, one of our care homes. She's 101, and the daughter was asking us, "Mom wants ice cream for breakfast. How do y'all feel about this?" And we're like, "She's 101. <laughs> She's earned it. Yes. We're fine with it if you are." So. And it's interesting because I've been in senior living communities where they will offer them dessert at lunch, dessert at dinner, and they will be rolling around a dessert in the afternoon. So they're feeding them three desserts a day. Yeah. So you know. I don't think that's ideal. I understand that they want them. Who doesn't? You know, right. I want them too. Now, one way to offset it is keep them physically active. That's with anyone. That's yeah. with me. I can eat more if I'm exercising more because I'm burning off more calories. So if I want my sweet tooth, the price is I have to work out more. If I'm working out more, I'm going to keep my weight down, and that's going to be a big factor in keeping my brain healthier. Is it ideal? 
No, of course, just do straight fruits and vegetables. I'd be a lot healthier. I'm not interested in doing that. So for me, what I since I have a huge sweet tooth is I got to keep working out. If I keep working out, I'm going to be much better off. So really, some of the biggest mistakes older adults make, health and nutrition, fitness. Yeah. I mean, focus on those things. and Because it's so interesting that when they retire, they figure, I've earned the right to do nothing. Right. And that's a huge mistake. They're just asking for brain health issues. I always tell people, two years after you retired, start looking for if anything's different brain processing-wise. If you're noticing it, it's probably because you've stopped doing certain things that were good for your brain. So if, when I stop working for a living, I need to replace some of what I do with something else so I'm using the same processes. So in, in work like me, I'm always having to do continuing education. So I'm constantly learning. So once I don't have to do that, am I free? Yeah, now I can choose. If I want a healthy brain, I need to go choose things to go learn now. Sure. That's okay. important. And if I ever needed beyond global research to prove a point about here are the five things you need for a healthy brain, all we have to do is, I can just tell people, go talk to senior living community administrators. Ask them what happened because places like mine, I, I work for a mental health practice, we got pushed out of these communities, many of these communities, even though the um, CDC was saying, no, you need to keep them in there. Mm -hmm. The corporates uh, were saying, no, you got to get everyone out. And when we left, what happened was they didn't have their exercise classes anymore. They shut them down within their community. Their social interaction was pretty much over because they stopped doing those activities. And then we're coming in providing uh, challenging cognitive activities and whether they had us or someone else doing it, that got shut down. You took three of the five things down. Every community I was talking to during the pandemic saw a decline in brain health in their residents, everyone. So it really proved the point that these are things that work, just got to go do them. Silver linings. Yep. Uh, Kathy, what is the difference between MCI, Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's dementia? So Alzheimer's disease is the broad, you know, the disease process. And so you could have a, the presence of Alzheimer's in your brain at 20 years before any symptoms appear. And so that's the disease itself. When it reaches a point that you begin seeing those outward signs and then the dementia symptoms appear, then that's when you move into the Alzheimer's dementia phase. MCI being mild cognitive impairment, um, they estimate that you know, uh, we've got between, I think, in fact, what's really interesting is Tuesday, we released the 2022 Alzheimer's disease facts and figures report that comes out every March 15th. And this year, there's a special report on MCI or mild cognitive impairment. And so everyone who progresses to Alzheimer's dementia will pass through this mild cognitive impairment state. Not everyone with MCI, though, inevitably goes on to progress to Alzheimer's dementia. And, and that's a real important mm -hmm. point to make. Mm -hmm. when, when someone gets dementia, it is progressive, it will get worse, and until we find a cure, there's no stopping it. You slow it down, mm -hmm. you cannot stop it. But with, with mild cognitive impairment, MCI, you can reverse it. It is reversible as long as you can catch it. The earlier you can catch it in the process, the more likely you are to be able to reverse it. A lot of people will call it like a pre-dementia phase, but it's not dementia at that point. 
that if you're going to get dementia, you are going to pass through there. So the key is catching it early. So important. Well, and part a big significant part of this report is really looking at exactly the barriers to catching it earlier. And the public and physicians, there's just this lack of awareness of how to identify it early, what the interventions are once you identify it, the importance of identifying it early. And so that this report takes a deep dive into looking at MCI specifically. Um, so I would encourage anybody can download the report. It's um, at our ALZ.org website. And um, I would go to ALZ.org. It is unbelievable the amount of good information and website. training and usefulness for people who want to learn more. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't go to the specific, I'd just go to that site. There's so much on there. They've sure. really, Alzheimer's yeah. Association has done a great job of uh, providing information, educating the public. I get a lot of questions about clinical trials. Is there information about clinical trials? Yes. So we use a third-party matching service. It's called Trial Match. Um, and you can get into that database, um, get in that system, set up a profile for yourself. And you can, you know, this we're looking for well individuals with no cognitive issues. We're looking for individuals who maybe have, you know, a familial history of dementia or Alzheimer's disease those who are, you know, experiencing it currently. Um, and so there's something out there for everyone. And these clinical trials don't always involve, a, you know, taking a pill or having some sort of scans or, you know, tests. Some of them are really, we're looking at lifestyle interventions. Yep. And, you know, if you're remaining, you know, cognitively engaged and socially, you know, socially engaged, you know, they'll have you do like, you know, every six months, you might take a little, you know, a little self-report test on how you're doing with things and report how engaged you've been, how socially active you've been. And so it's just another way for them to measure what some of these other, um, you know, lifestyle interventions could mean for right. someone's long-term risk of developing the disease. Thank you. Ron, what haven't I asked you that I should? That's a good question. So one that I would ask about is, what is one of the biggest mistakes older adults are making? Go ahead, ask. What are one of the biggest mistakes older adults are making? I'm so glad you Great asked question. that, Brian. <laughs> so one of the biggest mistakes, and we're just talking about this, is they wait too long before they get evaluated or a brain health concern. So what I see happen too often, unfortunately, is that someone starts to notice that they're slowing down a little. That means they're starting to misplace things more than they used to, uh, forget appointments more than they used to, forget names more than they used to, or um, processing speed, which is an example is, or having a conversation and takes me longer than it used to to think about what I wanna say mm -hmm. and then be able to say it. There are a lot of different brain health issues like that. And what happens, I think, with a lot of older adults is they start to notice before anyone else does. That's common, you know, because it's not that profound. Mm -hmm. That's the best time to get evaluated to see, is that normal for your age or not? And for some people, it's not normal. And that's when we need to be intervening with them because that's when we can help them the most to get them back to normal. That stage is the MCI stage, mild cognitive impairment. What happens though is they don't say anything or they're frightened about what it means or they convince themselves out of denial that this is what happens with age and they let it go. 
and it waits and it gets worse until family members and friends and other people start to notice things and they kind of laugh it off until you can't laugh it off enough. And then finally they go get them evaluated. And unfortunately, by the time they get them evaluated, some of the times it's already dementia. Can't, dementia is currently incurable and it's progressive. Now all we can do is slow it down. You gotta catch it before it ever becomes dementia so that they never get dementia. Yeah. You gotta check it out early. Kathy, what haven't I asked you? To well, along that same line, so anyone who has Medicare, then one of their annual benefits is an annual wellness visit. And it's a very underutilized benefit. This is something that's, you know, it, it involves the physician kind of just taking a 360 look mm -hmm. at the individual in terms of their medication management, their social situation, their, you know, it's really kind of getting a better understanding of how they're doing as a whole person. And that annual wellness visit should, and it does, but doesn't always get implemented, include a brief cognitive assessment. This is could be just simple, the, you know, MMS, I mean, little brief, like five questions yeah. where they're just, you know, you've heard the questions before, spell world backwards, right. I'm going to give you three words, in a few minutes I'm going to ask you what those words were. You know, very simple, but it's enough that if somebody doesn't do well, it can flag that, mm -hmm. okay, well, we need to explore this a little bit. Like, this is worth now us referring you to someone who can delve into this a little bit deeper. And so, especially for families who maybe they have even started to see something, but their loved one is a little bit reluctant to mm -hmm. have any sort of examination. This annual wellness visit is a great time that maybe that could get captured or identified, but it's a matter of not every physician, they don't, the, the offices aren't proactively calling people all the time to set up the annual wellness visit. We know over the last two years what all of these, you know, your preventative you know, appointments, what, right. you know, even chronic care management appointments have looked like in the last two years. So um, I really like for listeners to know about that benefit. So the annual wellness visit. Um, and then the second thing I'd love for the people to take away from this when we revisit just the heart health, brain health connection is that blood pressure and making sure that you are managing that blood pressure at that 120 over 80 level. And for the longest time, it was kind of the you know, the standard, you know, standard of care was, well, as long as you're in the like 135 to 140 range, you know, but it, it, we now, we have research that tells us that that 120 over 80 level is what's going, it, it has a direct impact on reducing someone's risk of developing dementia or moving into the, you know, moving into that stage. And so, you know, for those, or maybe even moving into MCI. Um, and so people who are listening, if you're not regularly checking your own blood pressure or monitoring that, or you kind of feel like the 132 over 84 is okay, get it down to 120. So. Great. Thank you. Okay. She got a second one, so I'm going to take a second <laughs> one. Go for it. Riley. She mentioned a benefit that a lot of people don't know. So I'm going to add another benefit that a lot of people don't know with traditional Medicare, not the Medicare Advantage plans, but traditional Medicare. I, I would actually, instead of having them go to their regular doctor, I'd have them go to a psychologist. Um, that does testing. And it doesn't have to be that profound. It could be 45 minutes of screening is really what's going to be looking for cognitive health issues. But what medic, traditional Medicare does is, if there is an issue, they will actually cover cognitive rehabilitative services. 
uh, cognitive rehab, which is the type of stuff to try and get the brain back into better shape, where the other plans aren't doing it unless it's already dementia. Traditional Medicare is actually doing this as a preventative, trying to keep them from ever having to deal with dementia, which is going to be way more costly anyway. And I still don't understand why the other insurance companies aren't on board with funding the preventative one, as opposed to providing cognitive rehab to someone with dementia when all we can do is slow it down. We can't stop it and reverse it. It's not that I don't want them to provide this service, but if I was going to choose one or the other, I'd choose the one that I can prevent rather than one that I can only slow down. Great information. Thank you both so much for what you do to do for the community. Y'all are doing great work, and I'm grateful to serve the community with you. So I really Thank you appreciate for the invitation you being on. to be on. Absolutely. Our Let's pleasure. roll into the nugget portion of the show. Meet the 88-year-old veteran who stops to salute every flag as he passes on his daily walks. Roll the clip. About 7 o'clock in the morning. That's the time you can catch 88-year-old Donald Bronson leaving his house for his daily stroll. He's very friendly, um, he's very sociable, and most people really like him. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Bronson. Take a picture of your flag. No problem there, sir. You salute it every day. You heard that right. Bronson stops to salute this flag and every flag he passes every day. I, I, I work for the flag. He says he takes the extra time out of habit and respect. That's why I started in the military. I still do it. Bronson joined the military in 1948 and did two tours in Korea and two in Vietnam. He was also a paratrooper in the 82nd and 101st Airborne Divisions for 18 years and went on special missions as a Green Beret. The dad of three retired as a first sergeant. Whether he's wearing a uniform or civilian clothes, our country is always on his mind. Mr. Bronson, we salute you. Thank you for your service. All right, on to the lightning round. That guy's adorable. Oh, my gosh. All right, this is an opportunity for viewers and listeners to get to know you guys personally. Are you ready? Quick answers. Ron, we'll start with you on these. Where were you born and raised? Dallas, Texas. Kathy. Corpus Christi, Texas. College and degree? Uh, UT Austin, uh, bachelor's in business administration with finance and accounting, master's at UT Arlington in clinical social work. At bachelor's um, in sociology from Southwestern University just north of Georgetown, Texas, or in Georgetown, just yeah. north of Austin, and then master's from the University of North Texas in long-term care administration. Great. Ron, can you write in cursive? Yes. Absolutely. I have beautiful handwriting. <laughs> Ever lived abroad? Never. Kathy? Uh, first semester, senior year of college, I lived in London. Nice. Ever been arrested? Uh, no, but I'm willing to for the right cause. Very well. Kathy? Ditto. <laughs> Ron, do you play an instrument? Uh, if you count my voice, then yes, since I am a lead singer in a band. Very well. Kathy? So I took piano lessons for six years from my aunt um, and then ended my career in the sixth grade, so I can't so really say. <laughs> <laughs> junk food or health nut? Uh, junk. Ooh, good mixture. I'd say salty and sweet. All mixed, right. You know, yeah. Ron, mountains or beach? Uh, mountains in the summer, beach in the winter. Lake. Lake. Okay. Ron, iPhone or Android? iPhone. iPhone. Very well. Night owl or early riser? Definitely night owl. Early riser. Okay. Proudest career accomplishment? 
Um, I'm going to go with bringing the brain health services that we do at Enlighten to Texas. Um, I would actually say it was um, through some volunteer work with our local elementary school. That okay. was uh, we did a lot of work to bring the neighborhood back to the school. That would be my proudest. Ron, what would you? What advice would you give your younger self? Uh, my younger self probably would listen, as I know teenagers and kids well. But if he would, or what I try and do is to not let fear hold me back from doing the things I always wanted to do. Yeah. And look at you now, Kathy. Right. Um, Ninety-nine percent of the time, when someone <clears throat> snips at you or appears angry or upset, it has absolutely nothing to do with you. That's excellent. Very advice. good point. <laughs> Thank you both for being on the show. Y'all yeah. are incredible, and I'm, I'm very grateful. Great. Um, Thanks for having us. If the viewers us. are interested in reaching out to you directly, um, Ron, email address? Uh, email address would be rnevelo, R-N-E-V-E-L-O-W, at enlighten.hush.com. K Shockley, S-H-O-C-K-L-E-Y, at alz.org. Wonderful. Thanks for listening today. Um, you can get uh, a copy of this episode and past episodes online at iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, or wherever else you get your social media. In closing, you are not alone. If there's ever anything I can do for you, please reach out directly. Thanks so much.